0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with Lane Kaplinsky, the Wexner Center for the Arts' new Director of Performing Arts. I spoke with Lane about his journey from literature student to arts curator, his impressions of Columbus, and some of the exciting shows coming up in the Wexner Center's fall performing arts season. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at TheConfluenceCast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, TheConfluenceCast.com, or at Patreon.com Confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview sitting down here with Lane Chaplinsky, the incoming Director of Performing Arts here at the Wexner Center for the Arts. Lane, how are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, thank you so much. First of all, welcome to Columbus. Welcome to the Wexner Center. What's your background? What brings you to us?
1: I somehow, as a washed-up English major from the University of Kansas, ended up in the world of performance a few years after graduating. I um, through an unlikely set of circumstances met the woman who was the presenter at the University of Kansas who presented the shows Laurie Anderson, Miami City Ballet, all the things that I saw when I was in school and when I met her mm-hmm. I realized that all the shows I had seen when I was on campus hadn't just magically materialized that there was actually an industry behind it there was a that. process
0: behind it right yes yeah, so
1: I really entered the arts administration field, as I call it, as an enthusiast. I had a was offered a front of house position; was my first job, and quickly moved into the box office as an assistant box office manager, and then was promoted to box office manager. And one of the breakthroughs for me was the fact that I, um, and well, there were two actually. One was that as a literature major, I could read and write, and so I was
0: started proofreading grants and okay. Once you start that is always the person who moves up a little bit quicker. Yeah. So
1: once you start proofreading grants, you do what? You, you start, start writing, writing the grants, right? Which starts getting you dangerously into program design
0: because you got to figure out what people will pay for. Exactly. Right. And so that really
1: that led to me becoming an education director, and then eventually from there, I was hired to go to the Brooklyn Academy of Music. But, you know, the other thing that happened in Kansas, because the woman, Jackie Davis, who ran the program was a really, really great at her job, was she brought in a really high caliber program. So, you know, I was in a situation where I'm sitting as a young 20 something, you know, sitting next to Philip Glass, asking him about. How he felt about being labeled a minimalist? You wow, know, that was that was the question I was able to drum up and ask Phil <laughs> at the time, or, or you know, sitting there talking to Merce about John's macrobiotic diet,
0: or this is Merce
1: Cunningham, yeah, okay. or you know. Sitting there with Ohad Naharin in a master class and watching him talk about baby hands and gaga technique or walking outside with, with Bill T. Jones to confront the minister Fred Phelps and his uh, bigoted protesting. You know, so This was, was all in Kansas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it had a lot of that sort of Peter Sellers being there feel to it. Right. And definitely on the job training, but you know, I would say that on the job training and then the ability to begin thinking and articulating and print programs or ideas or community engagement thoughts. That really led to, I think, my continuation and and ultimately into the job that I have. Which everyone always asks, what qualifies you to be an artistic director? And okay. I'm I don't think there's anything that qualifies me to be an artistic director. But I do think that that sort of training, that writing grants while I was looking at shows and trying to figure them out, right, kind of got me into a mode of even if naively considering what I thought about something and then being Maybe just naive enough to put it in print or to articulate it outward.
0: Right. Well, and that here's the time during this episode where I give my full disclosure that I used to work at the Wexner Center for the Arts and I was in the marketing department. And the thing that always surprised and impressed me was the ability of the programming staff to articulate the work and to write about whether it be dance or whether it be a film or visual art which in my head is a lot more difficult depending on how much material you have to work on it's quite a talent so there's your kudos right there from there from bam you went over to the west coast over to seattle on the boards right yeah i was in new york
1: from uh, 99 to 2002 september 11 happened and kind of just after that the position and on the boards became available, and they did a national search and because i worked worked at a prestigious institution, kind of had a a good foothold in trying to go for that job
0: and and, and I'm sorry, can I ask? September 11th was sort of an impetus for you to want to get out of the city? Well, it was it
1: was more than that. I mean, I think my my job at a lot of cultural institutions at that time felt like there was going to be a shrinking of of their budgets. Right. My my job was going to be in jeopardy. And so it just so happened that on the board's job and the opportunity to actually keep evolving in my career opened up. And so I was able to kind of jump lily pads. Got
0: it. uh, And so what was your role
1: there? at BAM. Yeah. My first No, I'm sorry, on the boards. On the boards, my my role was artistic director. Okay. I had never been an artistic director and wasn't sure what that was, but yeah, I was hired and and moved there in 2002, and that's where I've been for the last 15 years.
0: Gotcha. And so now that you're here at the Wexner Center replacing Chuck Helm, the former director of performing arts, who was here for 26 years, Mm -hmm. almost the entire history of the Wexner Center, can you sort of give... The outsider's perspective outside of Columbus, Ohio, of the Wexner Center, because on the boards worked with the Wexner Center. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about sort of, I think that frankly, in Columbus, the Wexner Center is slightly underappreciated in sort of the caliber of work that it brings here. Can you just talk about how the Wexner Center is perceived outside of Columbus?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a legendary institution. I remember when I was working at the Leeds Center at the University of Kansas and Seeing one of the the little books, little brochure booklets that the Western Center put out, and of oh, the calendar, yeah. yeah. But it, but it was a at the time they used to put out these thick, little dense program books. Yeah, they and the kind that you wanted to kind of sink into a couch and read, and every page sort of privileged whether it was. A particular world premiere, or a music act, or a new initiative, or directions to the restroom—everything <laughs> sort of had equal weight and gravitas in this in this program. And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, it had a certain kind of allure. Like, how was a contemporary mission and vision being pulled off in this particular place, and how was it happening at a university?
0: Right, and how you it- need sort of a. You need to be sort of independent in order to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah,
1: and it was so explicitly contemporary. It was so explicitly multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. The fact that it had visual arts, film video, and performing arts all apparently on equal footing. Mm-hmm. So I think that there were a couple other things, I think, simultaneously that, that occurred. One is that the the center developed a reputation for investing heavily in the development of new projects. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of you know this notion of presenting. I remember reading a, a review by Anna Kisselgoff in the New York Times years ago, and she said something along the lines of producers or presenters, as they like to call themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's that industry term that no one understands. Right. The notion of presenting, but there are a lot of organizations that invite artists with existing projects to come into. A community and show those projects. The right. Wexner Center is one of them. But you know, we have all this resource—not just facilities, but we have you know pretty ample budgets. And the Wexner very early on figured out that it was important to. Not just present, but to invest in the development of new projects mm-hmm. and to kind of do their part. And I think over the years to help train a field, arguably, about the value of that. Mm-hmm. So you started to see grant programs as well as other institutions emulate that behavior more widely and use facilities that are usually reserved for presentation used all of a sudden for production. And I think that that's really been a fairly new proposition over the last 15 years or so. Mm -hmm. You know, simultaneously Chuck did an amazing job of presenting music. Yes. And if you think about what that is culturally, you know, you're presenting what I like to call weird art, Mm -hmm. dance and theater, stuff that's hard to describe. It's, It's abstract. It's... But then on on the side of that, you're presenting, you know, an early show by Cat Power mm-hmm. or Broadcast mm-hmm. or and suddenly, you know, your are street cred. Right. <laughs> you're not just the artsy fartsy venue, but you're doing stuff that has sort of popular cultural cachet. Right. And I think that that also added to the allure of of the joint.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's a testament to the to the good work that Chuck did over the 26 years that he was here. For those that are familiar with the programming at the Wexner Center, what background do you bring? What sort of changes do you think that people will see? Because while you do sort of own this season, it's pretty much Chuck that booked it. No, he programmed. Yeah, he, he, he
1: totally programmed the upcoming season. Okay. That's a real luxury for any
0: producer, curator, programmer. Yeah, you have, get some time to sort of yes. get your feet wet, right? Yeah.
1: And it's not even it's not even a lot of time. I mean, people that's one of the questions people in my field get all the time. Like, well, how far out do you program? Right. And it's usually you know, a year to two years in advance. One of the neat things about this institution is that there's infrastructure built in to both do long-term planning where Mm -hmm. you can get really far out on the development of a new project or the realization of just a complicated project. Right. As well as be responsive to projects kind of in the short term.
0: Right. Like the the Next Wex series where like you're going to be able to bring in an indie rock band and you've only got a turnaround of two months and if you can make it work with the schedule of the facilities, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly.
1: And that's that's one of the reasons Chuck was able to to pull off the the musical program that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm very cautious about getting lulled into the conversation about change. And okay. He, and here's here's why. It's not to imply that things will be a carbon copy. And that's even, you know, I don't even know if you wanted a copy, Chuck, that you could. Right. I like to think that he brings his own skills and his own interests and his own taste to the table. And I don't think you can just emulate those easily. Mm-hmm. But I also think that some of the biggest ideas sometimes are the ones that are right in front of you. It's the lowest hanging fruit. It's actually doing what's been done before and dusting it off and presenting it differently. Okay. I'll give you an example of that. You know, the Wexner Center has worked all over the community Mm -hmm. in different venues. Mm -hmm. That's Going off-site is not a new proposition for this organization.
0: Right. Sometimes out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yet, going off-site and how you do it Mm-hmm. what the experiences around it what venues you go into who you partner with when you go offsite mm-hmm. all those things could potentially be done differently yeah or they could just be done anew or afresh or or be done right now and that will simply look it'll look different
0: give me an example of what that would look like
1: I don't know. I was I uh, was hanging out with Alex Mandar at the Idea Foundry the other yeah. day, and uh, you know, there's a project that I'm looking at from Oslo by a group called Verdens Teatret uh-huh. that makes these really amazing. It's hard work to describe, but it's kind of sound and light shows that unfurl from these. Crude sculptures, okay, that move and and sound seems to emanate from them. And there's intense video uh, has a, a real kind of industrial quality about it. But it's an environmental experience yeah. as well. and yeah. it's and, and it happens in real time. Even though there's there's not any you know there aren't performers per se. There are people who go out and manipulate objects and occasionally play an instrument. So mm-hmm. it does happen kind of in the performance world, but it's just, it's as much an install as it is a right. uh, performance piece. And, you know, I was talking to him about after touring the facility and having yeah. a couple watershed bourbons uh, <laughs> n- uh, next door at Land Grant how amazing it would be to figure out a way to do that project somewhere in that neighborhood.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Just after being around, you know, people who were dealing with plastics and metal smithing and Mm -hmm. all the things that, you know, woodworking and all the things that they're doing down there. So, you know, I also think that we're living in an age where curatorship or programming, and this is largely of, I think happens more in the performing arts than it happens in the visual arts where there's a, more of a precedent for lots of different kinds of curators or curatorial visions being realized within one institutional structure. Mm -hmm. In the performing arts, what largely happens is, for the sake of efficiency, there's usually a person who ends up determining everything that happens. Right. And... It's not so much, I think, intended to be a power play. It's more like that's the person who's willing to do it and is willing to write all the grants and pick up the artists from the airport. Well, and has there. an understanding of the calendar. Yeah, right? and 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 fundraising and board development and strategic planning and all the stuff that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But as a result, you know, if that goes on forever and that person is, is being the only one dictating programs, then, you know, it could have the the effect of, being that kid who always chooses all the toys that, that we play with day in and day out. Right. And, you know, and so, and I'm scrutinizing my own work over my career that way. I'm thinking about, well, what is it? Why wasn't
0: I more like Chuck when I was at, on the boards or?
1: Well, actually, I, I think it's on all of us, Chuck, myself and others, I think to figure out as we go forward, how to solicit other kinds of experts, uh-huh. people from other backgrounds, to actually take the lead. So, we, in fact, we create the space, we create the infrastructure, we create the support, but we really use it to invest in others to provide their perspective or to provide their their curatorial viewpoints. It's not programming by committee. It's just a way of bringing more people to the table and right. potentially different communities to the table than may feel are currently invited into an institution like this. And I think that that runs concurrent to, you know, President Drake when he talks about kind of town and gown initiatives and trying to provide better access. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, something that would happen at this center, but I think everyone increasingly is thinking that way.
0: How has your interaction been with the Columbus arts community since you've been here? I know, you, you know, you said you spoke with Alex, but what about the other cultural institutions? It's still really
1: early you right. know i was able to i spent two hours with uh, javon collins at the king arts complex mm-hmm. i've had uh, drinks with doug Kreidler, <laughs> who you know is columbus foundation ran capo and restored the theaters right this is that lay person the outsider's perspective on what the the movers and shakers of columbus uh, right i uh, just reached out to mark lomax to talk about jazz you know, it it all takes time. Uh, I've talked to some different choreographers. You know, I'm friends with B.B. Miller, Mm -hmm. who's an emerita professor. I think emerita is the title that she was given. Yes. But she's a friend and somebody that I'll continue to work with. uh, And she's been a fixture in this community and on this campus. And I consider her to be a real leader in the field. And in fact, she's one of the people that I'm thinking about as as an example of how I can pass the ball to BB and, and help her, you know, kind of lead the way with a particular aspect of the programming. Mm-hmm. So you just continue to, you don't ever know a community. You right. have to like
0: be in it you have to keep talking to people. And But so far the, the, the feedback and the, your perception of it has been positive.
1: Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, I tell, I tell everyone that it feels like I'm in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And everyone says, you know, Columbus has been changing a lot over the last 15 years, Mm -hmm. but like particularly in the last three to four years, it just feels like a very different city. Yeah. And so, you know, I moved here with my partner, Lauren, and we're living downtown and it was a real conscious effort to I just felt like downtown was changing a lot. And Mm -hmm. so from the outside coming in, it just felt like kind of an interesting place, especially if we're always going to be on campus. Because I work here, it felt like an opportunity to be off campus and deal with another part of town.
0: Good. Let's talk about the performing arts season. You can get information on everything that we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also Wexner Center's website, wexarts.org. You guys do have a whole bunch of jazz shows coming up. And again, you can look at the website for a lot of those. I want to focus today on some of, while they're all performing arts, focus on the dance and a lot of the theater pieces. Talk about Parallel Connections, one of the the featured performances that you have coming up mid-October.
1: Well, I think it's a great, it's a unique opportunity because it is the dance department and Ballet Met along with the Wexner Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's and really, it goes
0: back to those partnerships that you were talking about. Yeah.
1: And, you know, Ballet Met is really taking the lead to create an evening of four different dance works that will happen on the bill. One is uh, James Kudelka. Now there's William Forsyth, Merce Cunningham, and Oha Naharan. So, all really interesting choreographers. And then there are Those diff- are
0: works by them. I mean, yes, to be clear. That they created right. and that are
1: being set on various configurations of the ballet, students from the dance department, and then I believe the final number, the ballet and
0: students from the dance department. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so, how are those? I assume the Wexner Center has a hand in sort of the preparation of that.
1: Much more as a producer, but okay. it's really at this point now going forward, you know, at this point we were kind of the, an organizing agent and bringing people together. But now at this point, as the work is being made, it really is ballet met in the dance department gotcha. who are in rehearsals, who are, who are, you know, creating that material to be seen, you know, in the upcoming several weeks.
0: Gotcha. Talk about Squirrel featuring Carter Logan, Jim Jarmusch, and then films by Man Ray that's coming up in early November. Well,
1: that one I honestly, you know, films by Man Ray with music by Jim Jarmusch and yeah. Carter Logan. I mm-hmm. mean, what's that going to be? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, I think it's going to be a rock concert to films by Man Ray mm-hmm. and but you know, made obviously by, you know, a noted filmmaker or performed music by a noted filmmaker. So, you know, I that's one of the one of my friends who uh, is a producer, Mark Russell, ran Performance Space 122 for years and is the Artistic Director of the Radar Festival in New York, mm-hmm. he often said, you know, we present shows so we can see what they are. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's not always, it's not always... If I didn't bring this here, I wouldn't get to see it. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like that this is one of those opportunities. So
0: I'll, I'll get to experience what it is with everyone else. Right. Well, and it should be noted, when do tickets go on sale to the public? I have no idea. So that actually is one, it's going to be in the film video theater. So a slightly smaller space. So do hop on tickets. Early for that, do not wait until even late October to check it out. And then to sort of round out the season, not necessarily in the fall, coming up in mid-January is the world premiere of actually a Wexer Center Artist Residency Award. It's called A Thousand Thoughts, a live documentary by Sam Green and Kronos Quartet. Tell us about and that's actually in full Shan, right? Yes. Talk about that.
1: Well, we were just talking about partnership and you know, one of the places that partnership can occur, obviously, is within your institution as well. And I think that one of the neat things about the Wexner Center is how the different departments programmatically can play off of one another. And in this case, a performance project was initiated by the film video department, mm-hmm. which is a really neat thing to, to consider. And so...
0: Well, and listeners of the podcast will remember we just spoke with Jeff Smith, who noted... Dave and Chris here at the Wexner Center in the film department they're crossover with comics and so now evidence that crossing over in performance art for that department as well.
1: Yeah, and then the synergy there, though, that's such a squirrely word, but <laughs> is is that Kronos already had a relationship to the center, you know, was here just years before with right. Laurie Anderson. Right. And Kronos has you know, organizations like the Wexner all owe a, a debt to Kronos because they are the avant ensemble that, you know, first played Purple Haze in a chamber music format and right. created a, an opportunity 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 for new composition to be heard in chamber music halls. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are a lot of artists who've been inspired by Kronos. And so to, To have a documentary created about them as they're on stage in the way that Sam does, which is to create uh, a live narration, is really interesting. And I think another example of what we were just talking about, even with the Suzanne Bocanegra project, Mm -hmm. that a different way of entering narrative into a live performance setting that makes it uh, feel like there's a little bit more danger, and as a result, a little bit more, it actually feels more real than something that maybe is a more traditional documentary approach right? and so yeah I I think it's it's another one of the highlights of our season and it's another one that I think even if you maybe don't go in for experimental new music I think that this project will have a lot of appeal because not only are the musicians on stage but a story is being told about them, their history and I think that'll be really exciting.
0: If there was a theme for this season would you would it be something around like new ways to look at narrative or how, how are you thinking about this season?
1: Well, I think that's a, an interesting idea because I don't even think it's just about the season, but certainly, you know, a lot of the work that's being made right now tries to recombine all the elements that create a reality that we experience on stage. And if you think about how conventional performance is made, you know, A text is written, it's memorized, or choreography is made, it's Mm -hmm. taught and rehearsed, and then it's taken into a theatrical context. Lights are put in the air, they're focused, their sound cues are made, and they're entered into the board. And, you know, costumer is often involved, maybe a set's used, videography could be brought into it. They're kind of these systems that are used to create what we experience largely in performance. And I think that a lot of the people who are making what we call contemporary performance are trying to play with those systems in such a way that kind of upend what that reality feels like on stage and what that expression feels like on stage. I mean, B.B. Miller, who you'll be interviewing, as I understand it, coming up, her piece does that same thing. (laughs) It, it, It very much is trying to pull apart how a dance work is made and it almost in real time displays or shows you in a slow down fashion, how a work maybe comes together. Okay. It's called the making room. And in my mind, what I saw in the, in the work in progress that she showed here a few weeks ago, really displayed a unique approach that I, in my mind, it even evoked a uh, Pina Bausch uh, for me. It, okay. it, it really kind of, deconstructed how a dance is made and kind of put it back together and from an audience's eyes
0: that's great yeah first of all Lane thank you for your time we're going to wrap up with a piece by Bill Frizzell on the occasion that he's going to be here performing on October 8th can you talk about Bill Frizzell and the the piece that he's bringing in October
1: yeah, it's a collaboration with The Bad Plus, and it, it's poignant for me because it it really is comes about because of my predecessor, Chuck Helm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, The Bad Plus talks about being inspired at an early stage of their career watching the, the performances, the music performances at the Walker Arts Center where Chuck was doing the musical programming mm-hmm. with artists like Bill Frizzell. And so when he approached them about doing a project... They said they wanted to work with Bill they wanted and it, it basically was like, yeah, we want to work with Bill in the way that we used to see him at the Walker Arts Center because those were so inspirational for us. And so just thinking about how Chuck's role in shaping, supporting an artist like Bill is obviously mm-hmm. a leader and then as well as next generation artists like... The Bad Plus and just thinking about his role with those projects and those artists. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. for me. Great.
0: Well, let's wrap up then with some music by The Bad Plus. Lane, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of The Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite programmer. If you're interested in sponsoring The Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our post-production engineer was Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.